Welcome to The Old World Lives, a Warhammer Fantasy Battles podcast. You can find us on Facebook at The Old World Lives, on Instagram at The Old World Lives, and you can reach us by email at theoldworldlives at gmail.com. And now, on to the episode. Hello and welcome to this fourth episode of The Old World Lives podcast. I'm Christopher, and with me tonight I have Niklas. Hello. And Jimmy. Hello, everyone. Let's start us off. We have a shout out or two today. Let's start with uh, the 8th edition for Life Forum, which is an obviously 8th edition focused forum. Shout out to them. And a link to this will be in the show notes. It's not the easiest to remember that with the URL for that site. Yeah, I just want to say that it's great to see that like people are talking about us in other places than Sweden. Indeed. And like they were writing that we see mostly 6th edition. I know that you guys are mostly 6th edition. And my focus right now is like a lot of 6th edition. But I do plan on playing 8th edition later as well, just with like other armies, other projects. Yeah, same here, same here. Yeah. I so think we're, we're quite uh, edition fluid at this point, because we just want to have a good time. Yeah, 6th edition is awesome, but like I wouldn't label us like a 6th ed podcast or anything. We're a, we're a fantasy podcast. Just because there's a bias doesn't mean it's the only thing going. Do another shout out, and this is from John in the Lower East Michigan, and he's looking for players and other people of a like mind and if you want to get in contact with him send a message to us and we will forward it and then we had a little shout out yeah. for an event don't we yeah i just want to comment on that as well lower east mission is so crazy the united states is so big you have to like kind of say we're in this part of the country and then further where you can just take your huge hummer coyote suv right on for like 10 hours take him fantasy no big deal take a flight so, yeah, if you want to play with some guys in the U.S., especially in the lower east side of Michigan, just write on our Facebook page and you guys can hook yourselves up. Indeed. Guys with miniatures meeting guys with miniatures. Yeah. It's almost like we are nicking part of a tagline from another podcast, but let's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then this uh, last shout out, there's an event going on in London, or there's going to be an event for 6th edition, uh, so it's called Bringing Back 6th edition. So it's going to be 2nd of March in London. Currently there's 11 people coming and like 25 people interested, so I'm hoping for a great turnout. I'm definitely going to be there with my kids club. It's going to be fucking awesome. And you yeah. got to do some uh, interviews over there then. Yeah, you can definitely do that. Just interviewing all the guys with their hot 6th edition armies. Yeah! <laughs> I'm really hoping for like a really cool Dark of War me. Oh god, that like. would be beautiful to see. I love those models. That would surely be an event to attend. And uh, if nothing else, as we said, Niklas will be there. Let's hope more people will be there and that it actually becomes a success. Be there and be square. <laughs> That's a good way to yeah. put it. So, Niklas, do you have any hobby progress or was everything lost out wondering? No, I've been doing some painting. I played a game against a friend of mine. Not everything was fully painted. I'm a bit ashamed. He was even more ashamed because stuff was even less painted. But I painted some Kistel stuff. I painted up my Griffin Legion, which I was really happy about, actually. It took a long ass time. Like, there's a lot of details on them to paint. A lot longer than I expected. Like Three different kinds of furs or shit. Like, they have the leopard coat, and then they have the like wolf or bear fur, and they have the wings. Just like a lot of detail on them. It's a lot of time to paint. Those models are up on the Instagram if people want to watch yeah, them. Yeah, they sure are. Other than that, I painted like the horse touchers I painted a while ago. 
and now I'm going to paint some Cossars, the foot soldiers. And those models are so fucking good, like so good. One of the best Games Workshop models I've seen. The details on the metal is just incredible. So I'm really looking forward to painting some of those. I'm just going to paint up 10 to start with, but then I have uh, 15 in total. That's my hobby progress. How about you, Jimmy? Well, uh, I certainly haven't been painting any Night Goblins lately, which I should have, as I have quite a few. But I've been restoring some of my old Skaven models, as some have, well, broken through the years. So I'm restoring them so I can play with them again. And I've been making some new Mordheim Warbands as well. Uh, I'm going to post them up later. I'm working on Witch Hunters right now. And uh, that's my hobby progress for now. By warbands, are you meaning rules, or are you talking about uh, uh, actual miniatures? Actual miniatures for yeah. from the core rulebook. Nice. Out of curiosity, how many painted warbands do you have for Morden? I have uh, about between eight and ten, I think. <laughs> and there's going to be more. I'm planning more. I'm planning yeah. on so many goddamn warbands. I love making warbands. Yeah, you're seeing all your posts on Facebook, it seems like Morning is like your big hobby love. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually it is. It is my favorite game of all time, but I can't play it all the time. That would kill the magic for the game. Maybe you should post up some of those warbands on the podcast Instagram just to show them off. Sure will. Uh, what about you, Christopher? Well, I'm obviously, obviously doing dwarves, only dwarves and nothing but dwarves, and not at all uh, prepping and, as we speak, <laughs> actually pinning the Mingle Manhides Manflayers unit I have had in a box for 14 years, something like that. And you were so close to sell that banner bearer to me. Yeah, but then I found a use for them because I also found my Dark Elf army, so I can actually, like a second army, so it might prep a unit for it, so you have two playable armies in the end. Also nice. I think all of us now, actually, like all of us except for Jens, have started an army and then started another army. Yeah, that's true. Which yeah. is very surprising because Jens starts a lot of things. But the thing about Jens is that he started like five other games at the same time. And on oh, own. yeah. <laughs> In a way, it's another army, but it's for another game. Yeah, yeah those uh, Napoleonic slash bolt action slash. <laughs> <laughs> it's the wrong yeah. game systems. God damn it. All nice to see progress, but it's still, we want to see his Middenheimers that is actually yeah. started now. All the beardy men, rowdy beardy men. And there's going to be lots and lots of rowdy beardy men in our collections. Oh, yeah. Even though like, we have one that plays Middenheim, one that plays uh, Islev, and one that play, plays Dwarves. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to add my Chaos here. I'm going to play Chaos later on. I have, uh, well, I, I think it's <laughs> 16 Chaos Knights, old metal ones. So I guess I have a third army. I think it's going to be influenced about this thing we're going to talk about later. To be fair, isn't 16 Chaos Knights an army in 6th edition? Uh, It kind of (laughs) is. It's going to be a big army if you make them chosen. You need a dragon. No dragons, only horses. How about the horse dragon? Like the one uh, the Stormcaster getting? No, no, just no, no, (laughs) no, no. I was actually thinking that uh, the Dark Elves will be the base of my 8th edition army later on, because as opposed to the Dwarves, they got a lot of fun stuff after edition changes. Yeah. Not just more specialized Iron Breakers and a silly flying thing. Dwarves are slow. They are. 
truly are. Indeed. So this episode, as we've been a bit into it now, well, we have a two-pronged attack on Kislev, basically, because we've got the Kislev focus. We actually have the first installment of our Squarebase book club, and that book club night is a discussion about the book Riders of the Dead by Dan Abnett. And welcome to this uh, episode's main topic, which will be a little bit, and this, a little bit of that, about a certain northern faction that might not be that much mentioned in the game. And that is Nicholas' little pet project, and it's Kislev. So, Nicholas, start us off. Yes, so Kislev is like one of the lesser-known human well, faction in the game, a nation in the old world. There are a lot of like human factions, like Talia and Astalia, that don't really have uh, any rules and haven't been in the game. But Kislev has actually been in the game. Uh, so I'm just going to start with the background of Kislev first. And to kind of get a sense of Kislev itself, we got to look at where the inspiration came from. Because like in everything in the old world, it's they've taken a lot of inspiration from real world places and peoples. Uh, as you can see, like the entire world is shaped like our own world, but kind of drawn from the perspective of a medieval person. Uh, so Kislev uh, is situated to the northeast of the empire, and it's like on the way up to the Chaos Wastes. And to the east, you have the World of Mountains. To the south, you have the empire. And to the north and northwest, you have Norska and the Chaos Wastes. Uh, but the inspiration from for Kislev comes mainly from uh, like Ukraine. So if you look at the history of Ukraine, you used to live these people called Skutians there. They were like a horse people, a nomad people, rode around, pillaging people, classic steppe nomads. Uh, and then later on, uh, Ukraine... After the Mongol invasion, Ukraine became a bit of like a like a frontier land. No one really lived there. There was no like civilization there. Uh, there was like the Kievan Rus to the the west. Uh, it was like a mix of Slavs and uh, Vikings that came there to settle, create an empire. Then after the Mongolians, it was like, who really controls this place? There's like still Mongolians there from the Golden Horde, kind of keeping things in check. And then the Polish-Lithuanian Empire started uh, approaching it from the West and kind of took it over. Uh, and from that, like them taking over there, started to live a people there called Cossacks. You might have heard of them. Uh, and they are thought of kind of like the cowboys of the Slav uh, Slav lands like Russia and Poland. Uh, so they were kind of independent, but then still under the control of the Polish Lithuanians. And, and this is like 1600s. So this is where most of the inspiration for Kislev comes from. So Kislev in the old world. <clears throat> As I said, it's a, a nation of man. Uh, and during the age of Sigmar, 
the real Sigmar, not the fake golden Sigmar. Uh, when he was uniting uh, all of the humans in the Empire, he also got some help from the people living in current Kislev, which were called the... Uh, oh, shit. I knew I would forget this. This is why I have this uh, this PDF next to me. The Ungols. So the Ungols were like a human tribe that were living in Kislev. There were a bunch of tribes living in the Empire, and Sigmar kind of united them. But he didn't take the Ungols into the Empire. Uh, I don't really know why, because they're really close. But I guess that I can't get them all. And probably he doesn't want to contain them for the same reason that empire of today doesn't want Kislev to be part of the empire because Kislev is very barren it's just like plains and it's cold as fuck and there's chaos coming through there all the time so the empire and sigmar i guess just kind of left him alone to be this frontier nation like a barrier between them and chaos so after um Sigmar united the empire, then the empire kind of grew as a nation. And then you had the era of the the three emperors, uh, or the age of the three emperors, when the empire was kind of divided. And during this time, another group of people came from the east, which were called the Gospadors. Uh, and the Gospadors were led by this uh, Tsarina, uh, and she had kind of this vision that she had to go from the eastern steppes across the world to the mountains. Then she would find like a new place for her people to live because they were being kind of hounded down by the chaos people living there, the Kurgan, the Kool, and all of those guys. So they crossed the world to the mountains and uh, found this land that was promised to her, but it was already inhabited by Gospadors, or not Gospadors, uh, the Ungols. So the Gospadors attacked the Ungols and drove them away from their places and drove them more and more west. And at this time, there was also another group of people living in the current Erengrad, which is like the, the port city. So the Gospadors pushed the Ungols and the Ungols pushed this other group of people, which I can't really remember the name of, but it doesn't really matter because they were pretty much extinct by this time. So this is also like a throwback to like the real world with the the great migration period of Europe when groups of people was coming from the east and pushing people west, which kind of led to the downfall of the Roman Empire and all that. Uh, so the Gospelers kind of took over. Uh, the Serena established Kislev, the city, and named the land to Kislev. Uh, and from there on, they kind of expanded and took over the rest of Kislev and even took some parts of the empire, which is now part of Kislev. They used to be part of like Ostlan and Ostermark. Uh, they were kind of worrying a bit with the empire, but then they kind of settled down like, all right, well, we're happy with this place that we'll catch her now. And then relations started to be, become better between them. So in current Kislev, uh, like the ruling elite is Gospador, and then you have like these people living on the plains, which are Ungols. So this is like 
the whole thing about Poland Lithuania coming into Ukraine uh and the Ungols are like the Cossacks living on the plains and then you have like the wealthy people who are the Gospodars living in cities which are like the Polish uh nobles and stuff like that yeah so that's like the main story about Kiss does anyone have any anything they want to put in there or have any questions about it uh, do you know about how the other countries view Kislev? Like, uh, I think I read that Empire see them as little more than barbarians. Is this true? Uh, yeah, so the uh, the Ungols that were living there, they were very much uh, like related to the, the people north that will later become just Chaos Marauders pretty much. Like when the storm of chaos came first, uh, the other Northmen kind of uh, gave themselves over to chaos while these Ungols just decided that they want to stay with their own gods. So they are very much related to the, the Northmen, which kind of <laughs> gives them that appearance. And they're also like, just, they are kind of savage, just riding around like with bare chest. It's, nomads living on the steps so they are kind of savage in that way but they're still on the good side which they still have laws and such things yeah so uh, in the sixth edition rulebook there's like uh, some uh, info about Kessel that I would like to read here just to get a feel of the place so this is written like from the view of the empire North from the lands of our magnificent empire, the forests give way to the great windswept plains and dark birch glades. These are the lands of Kislev. For 1,000 years, this kingdom has endured the attacks of the savage Norse and the recursions of dread chaos. During the long winter nights, the men of Kislev, known as Gospadors, gather around their log cottages, remembering the glory of the stars of old and the might of the ice queens of bygone ages. They sing songs of war and dream of happier times for their own age is filled with much strife. Gislev guards the borderlands of the north against the terrible servants of chaos. Each year the northern border is harsher, harder to defend. Each year the toll of death is greater. But to Kislevites this matters not. North is their home and they cannot, if they cannot live there, they will die there. Kislevites are great warriors and magnificent horsemen. They tirelessly patrol the northern border along the forbidding troll country, trying to keep the rampaging chaos warbands in check. The cities of Kislev are ruled by Sars and Boyars, who all owe their fealty to the overlord of Kislev, Tsarina Catherine the Great. The current ruler of all Kislev is a mighty sorceress, mistress of the cold winds and ice of the north. She is known for both her beauty and her haughty and cold manners, which have earned her the title of Ice Queen of Kislev. So suffused is she with magic that it is said that her flesh is cold to touch and she rules her lands with icy efficiency. Erengrad is one of the greatest trading ports of the old world. Here, the wares of the north are traded with merchants from Britonia, Talia, Estalia, and of course, our own noble empire. The city of Prague has an evil reputation, for during the last great war against chaos, the city was overrun with the servants of the ruins powers and twisted beyond recognition. After Magnus Pius defeated the forces of the dark gods, the city was raised to the ground and rebuilt. With chaos returned, travelers tell tales of hushed and hushed tones of cries of agony that pierce the night and faces that appear in the walls of buildings to consume the unwary with savage ferocity. 
the cities, citizens of Prague are forced to burn down and rebuild their homes if they are to retain some small measures of sanity. So yeah, there's like a bit of background text of Kislev and the 6th edition rulebook. It sounds like a really harsh place to live in. Yeah, <laughs> so like they have these cities to the south of Kislev, but it's still kind of barren around them. And then to the north, north of the river Linsk in particularly, it's just like steppes and wildlands and fucking nothing. Just the, the blue sky, which is classic steppe country of like Ukraine and to the east of Ukraine. And then they have along the border, uh, along the mountains, some staging areas, fortresses, just to have some place to look out for the Chaos Hordes when they inevitably come back. Yeah. And usually when like Chaos comes to Kislev, they're mostly looking to go to the Empire. Because there's not a lot to gain in Kislev. It's just more of what the Norsemen are used to. And then they come down to like the the thick belly of the empire where they have all this gold and all this cattle and food and stuff to loot. So usually um, the Kislev army doesn't put up like a stand-up fight mostly. These harass the enemy along the way, they're, like their way to the empire. Like uh, weakening them on their way down so the empire can take the rest. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or... It, because we also have to mention here that uh, there isn't really a great deal of land between Kislev and uh, the Chaos Wastes and uh, the corrupting influences of them. And every time yeah. the Chaos Wastes and Winds of Magic change and the Wastes just expand south, it just expands over a bit of Kislev and then yeah. draws it back. So they are yeah. quite wary against those corrupting powers. Yeah, there's not a lot like there's no like definite border like where does Kislev end to the north you can't say because it's just like wildlands up and then I guess some people live there sometime of the year but then they move because they're just nomads uh, I read somewhere also that like uh, Kislevites don't take pride in like having a glorious last stand they uh, take pride in like knowing the exact moment when to run from danger and also said like a footnote that no one can really say that they ran too soon because <laughs> no one is left to argue against them. So they're very much into like hit and run tactics of uh, nomads of the step. Um, and also, yeah, they do fight sometimes. Like a lot of the chaos incursions are stopped in Kislev. Just marching through, they get harassed so much that they have to abandon their, their march south. Uh, but Kislev is not just all uh, Plains, as I said, they have cities, and like the three biggest cities: Kislev, Prague, and Eringrad. Kislev is the capital, of course. Of Kislev, uh, they have really high walls, and that's where the arena hangs out. Uh, Prague, as you heard, is like a cursed city, so I wouldn't like to live there. I don't think anyone really loves to live there. Uh, yeah, you can see faces in the walls and people scream during the night. Not a pleasant place. Uh, Erengrad, though, is a really cool city, I think, because it's like a really big trade city. And it said it's like Marienburg of the north. So, for those of you who doesn't know Marienburg, it's this big trade city in the empire that bought their way out of the empire because they were so fucking rich. Uh, well, and it was also a quite corrupt 
emperor emperor involved in that deal. Yeah. Uh, but I read some stuff about Eringrad, and there's a lot of information about Kislev in general because they featured in uh, the role playing games. There's lots of useful backstory there. So it said that like you can pretty much get everything you can get in Marienburg in Eringrad, and you can get pretty much anything in Marienburg. Uh, although you can get it faster in Eringrad because people are just openly corrupt, <laughs> like more than in Marienburg. Because in Marienburg, kind of need to know a guy and kind of have to speak in hush tones, like, oh yeah, I kind of want to buy this this illegal thing. But in Eringrad, it's like, I want to buy this illegal thing. Like, oh yeah, here, it's right over there in the stand. Uh, there's a lot of shady deals going around in Eringrad, but no one really cares and no one really does anything about it. Because it's like, it's like Russia, <laughs> like Russia after the fall of communism, like everything's for sale. Um, and even until like recently, with the chaos invasions, you could even buy like chaos artifacts that if you knew the right person. But now it's it's a bit more frowned upon after the city itself being fucking sacked by chaos. Uh, yeah, I think that's like. Most of the backstory from Erengrad. Or uh, in Kislev in general. Is there anything else you wonder about the lands of Kislev? I'm fine. Yeah. You say that like it's a very rural place. Not a lot of like big hives. And then you have the Serena and then you have uh, the boy the boyars who are like second in command. They're like the, the nobles. And they kind of control big areas of land. So, uh, Kislev in the game, though, uh, whenever I mention, like, yeah, I'm going to play some Kislev to people, and they're like, whoa, didn't know it existed, or yeah, I knew the models, but it was for what? Are they in the Empire book, or what? Uh, so, in the beginning, uh, you could take Kislev Winged Lancers and the Sarina Katharine in the Empire book of 4th edition. Uh, and that, in, that really shows on her model, sadly, because she didn't get a, an updated one. Yeah, she's pretty old. Still hot, the old. Just <laughs> like, yeah, a cougar. Old yeah. Snow leopard. So, uh, you could take them in 4th uh, edition Empire, because you could take pretty much Anything in Fort Edition Empire, you could take halflings and ogres and what have you. So they kind of threw in Kislev. And it said, like, yeah, Kislev is its own empire, but it fell out with the empire. So we threw them in here. And then I think in 5th Edition, you couldn't take them anymore. Uh, I think. But then in 6th Edition, they released a book for Kislev in White Dwarf and some new models. And the models are really fucking good. Uh, but this is like an, an allied book. So it says like in the book that it's meant to be used with another army, like using an allies contingent. And it gives, gave rules to play in Kislev with another army. And it says like, yeah, you can play this by itself, but it's kind of limited. And it is limited because the book has in total uh, seven units. Two of which are named characters, and you can only use one named character at a time. So, going through the units, you have from heroes, a boyar, which is like the normal man, so you 
outside and you can kind of kick them out however you want, like on foot, on horse, with barding, rifle, uh, standard bearer, just like a, a normal hero guy. Um, then you have in core wing lancers that have a rule called glorious charge, which is really cool. That if you charge an enemy unit, then ha they have to take a leadership or like a morale check to see if they will stand ground or they'll just flee. Uh, as if they had been charged in the side while already engaged in close combat. Says. So that's a really fucking cool role. What do you guys think? I don't think my goblins will like it, but I like the, the rule, actually. I do like it, but I won't like it when I field my goblins against you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I will use flea as a charge reaction anyway. <laughs> That's yeah. pretty much standard goblin tactic, though, isn't it? Yes. Flee and shoot. Flee and shoot. It's really nice that they were experimenting and adding more interesting rules like that to this army. Yeah. It's a really cool rule. And it kind of only works in 6th edition, though, because I don't think that rule exists in editions after this one. Like, if you, yeah, you have to take a morale check. Uh, if you're being charged in the flank while already being engaged to the front. Like, didn't, I don't know if that happened a lot, but it seems like it's a very narrow situation that you're kind of writing this rule about. Uh, I've seen in other, like, other people adapting the rules. Like, you've seen some, some people making, uh, like, fan-made 8th edition rule books. Then they implemented that they have fear on the first turn that they charge. Which, in my opinion, makes a lot more sense. <laughs> like, easier to have, like, a... But it's like, Games Workshop moved on more to, like, universal special rules than each unit having their own rules more. The more they made the army books. What do you think? Yeah, the, they wanted to streamline the game, and they did so in the later editions. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, super cool role. And then the next unit is Ungol Horse Archers. Which are, of course, are like the, the Ungols. And they're like nomads riding around with no shirts. Just being buff dudes with mustaches, shooting arrows. I think these are really cool. Light cavalry uh, with bows. And they have ballistic skill four. That's so, really good. That's really, really good for a fast cavalry unit. Yeah. I don't know how many other fast cavalry have them. Of course, like the elves, I, I would assume. No, no one's counting the elves in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the, so yeah, like the, the wood elves, of course, have their horse archers, and then the uh, high elves have the like the Illyrian rivers, right? Yeah, and then yeah. the yeah. dark riders for the dark elves. Yeah, uh, and I suppose pistoliers for empire should be their fast cavalry units, but they don't have bows; they have pistols. Yeah, and I think they have skill three, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Uh, or maybe in later editions they have better build skill. I don't know, but and they have pretty short range as well. Uh, since they, uh, I'm used to looking through my rule, and they do have build skill three losers. Uh, shorter range, if, as I said, so you have to kind of ride up next to the enemy and shoot him point blank for them to be effective. These guys, you can you stand freaking twenty four inches and still hit on force uh, which is really cool 
Uh, yeah, they just flee and regroup, harass the enemy, like Kiss of Dew. So this is like one of the reasons I wanted to play this army as well, because I really like the idea of like just light cavalry riding around shooting arrows. And this army has the perfect thing for that. Uh, next unit is uh, Kiss of Kossars. I didn't mention Kossars in the background, but the Kossars were an Ungol tribe that sided with the Gospadors. Uh, and they are a non-mounted tribe, or they were a non-mounted tribe. And they lived like southwest of Kislev, so kind of on the border of the empire. So they live more in the forested areas. Uh, and these guys were later converted into like the, the standing army of Kislev. So this is the only standing army that they have, which is infantry. All the horsemen are like people called up to war one war is fought. And I think like that's how most of the the armies worked in Europe like during this time. You don't really have standing armies. You used kind of rally men when you need to fight and pay mercenaries. Not a lot of countries had standing armies. And these guys are also really cool because they have great weapons, great axes and bows. It's also like an unusual combo. Uh, maybe I should mention with the wing lancers that they have horses, uh, heavy armor, shield, and lances. Cool thing about those is that they don't have barding, so they're pretty fast, even though they'll lose an armor point. But it's cool, lancers that are fast. Uh, so the Cossars, uh, with great axes and bows, they have a uh, rule called steady in the ranks, which means that they can always stand and shoot, even though the enemy is really close. And if they're like in normal distance where, that they would normally be allowed to do stand and shoot, then don't get a minus one to hit. They only have ballistic skill three, though. Yeah, it's good enough. It's really good enough. Yeah, ballistic skill three is like the 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 normal ballistic skill for humans, so can't really complain. And always being able to stand and shoot is really cool. That's a that is a really good rule. I wish I could do that with my goblins, but I can't. So, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Can I miss that in later editions that bows have volley fire, also that you can fire in two ranks? Because now I don't know how how I'm gonna position them in ranks so that they can get bonuses and maneuver easily, or should I just put them in a line so that more of them can fire? We'll see. We'll try some different things out. And then the only special unit in this army is the Griffin Legion. And this is like a, a named regiment, regiment of renown also. Uh, so these are like winged lancers. Uh, and winged lancers are usually like kind of ruled over by the, uh, the boyars. But these guys kind of broke out of being owned by someone and just created their, like their own knightly order pretty much, of the Empire. Um, and these guys are characterized by having griffon feathers and they're at their back banners because they're like their, their leader slew a griffon in single combat once. And that kind of gave them fortune enough and fame that it could be their own unit. And these guys are usually uh, out and about in the Empire and more south, just looking for employment. So these units can actually be taken as 
dogs of war and other armies, which is real cool. So anyone can have just a little bit of Kislev. I'm going to see if they can be in green skin armies. Then I will use Kislev against your Kislev. <laughs> that would be weird. That's another thing I didn't understand about like dogs of war. Cause, like you can get a lot of weird, uh, like just units fighting for different things. Like, like you can have chaos with demons and stuff, and then you can have some Chileans. Like how? How can these guys be fighting for chaos? The really weird thing is in a Dogs of War army, you can have greenskins and dwarves at the same time. <laughs> that just shows yeah. that, that how much dwarves love gold. Exactly. <laughs> it's weird. So the Griffin Legion are just like winged lancers, but they have one more strength and one more initiative, which is really good with lances. Striking at strength six with lances is, is badass. Uh, then you had the two special characters, the Ice Queen and Sarboris. The Ice Queen is actually Sarboris's daughter and the current ruler, and Sarboris is actually dead in the current timeline. So the Ice Queen is the only mage of Kislev. She's a level four ice mage. Which is cool. She's like the only Ice Age mage, Ice Age mage that they that the fantasy universe had, and she has her own lore in the back of this book. <clears throat> Other than that, she's just pretty decent character. Uh, other units can use her leadership within twelve or like reroll. She's like a banner. Uh, she has killing blow with her ice sword. I don't know. I think that's nice. She, that's nice. I don't think we should go into more detail about her. Well, we could always mention since we just mentioned the Griffin Legion. She she removes the one out one restriction on them. That is true. Oh yeah, the only special unit in the army you can only take one of unless you have the Serena. Uh, just one other spell that I thought was cool was Ice Wall. She can put up just. An ice wall to block units. Thought it was this is a pretty cool spell. Uh, Sar Boris, the guy on the bear. Everyone seen him. He's on the cover of the Kislev army book. Total badass. He's the fat guy with. You have to be a badass to ride a bear. That's a fucking polar bear, and he's riding it like a steed. (laughs) Yeah. The the thing I find weird about him though is that, like, how are you supposed to use him in an army? I guess you can put him like in a unit of horsemen, but then you slow down all of the horsemen to match the the bear because it's gonna move six and the horse is gonna move eight. She's she's so fat with his fat bear that he's just slowing everyone down. Oh, but he's God. a real cool model. Uh, I think he can hide close to cavalry units, though. Uh, I think he's cavalry, or is this monstrous cavalry? I don't. Did you have those distinctions in sixth edition? Uh, I th- well, if if he, you had monsters and you have normal cavalry, monsters could not hide be- close to other units, but ordinary cavalry can hide close to other cavalry units. Hmm. I don't know. The thing is that you should use him as a more of a buff character for the Kossar unit as well. Given that you can buff yeah. them if he's in the army. Yes, you can upgrade uh, Kossar units so they have one 
extra attack on a charge. It's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I think he's cavalry actually because he's pictured here. They join with a unit of the cavalry. So I guess he can just move around the cavalry units, not being shot, and then charge by himself. Um, yeah, and those are the the six units of Kislev or seven. Uh, the models are really good though. Like even the the Wing Lancers who were made in fourth edition, they really hold up. Okay, I didn't realize that we were made in fourth edition until recently. I was like, holy shit, still look good. Um, so yeah, I think they will be a lot of fun to play, uh, even though they have really very few units. Uh, they're like one of the only <clears throat> factions that are like a cavalry-based army. I, you can do a lot of other armies cavalry-based, like empires, pretty easy, I guess, with like knights and pistoliers and outriders and stuff. Uh, Bretonia is like the classic mounted army. But if you would, uh, sorry, uh, if you would compare Bretonia to Kislev, I think they would be two very different armies and play very differently as well. Uh, what do you think, Jimmy? The, the I agree. One among us. I agree. As the Empire, no, uh, I mean the Bretonia army have quite a few more units than the than the Kislev. Also, they have other special rules and other things that can help them during the game. While Kislev, as you, you've said, have very, very few units and they are very specialized at their things. Yeah, and also the thing like in Bretonia is all about getting the charge as fast as possible. Like breaking through your enemy, just going full on with just heavy cavalry. And I guess the usual thing is like have, or at least in my mind, is how like, in a big game, three units of cavalry just riding down the middle, like the main unit in the middle, and then supporting units just come crashing down into the enemy, enemy lines. That's going to be like your main play, trying to attack the weakest point or just attack the point where you have the most effect. Would you agree, Jimmy? Or is, is this I agree. I agree. Yeah, well, I think that this is how I would play my head cannon orc army where I field lots of boar boys alongside my big guns on boars. Yeah. This is an army I, I would love to play, but I can't. <laughs> yeah, so I think that... Can't is always relative, I think. If you believe it, Jimmy, and you can't play it. If you believe it, deep enough. Can't believe yeah. it. Can't believe it, and I will. Instead of boars, I will field a goblin army on wolves. Everyone knows wolves are horrendous. Why not just have the wolves riding on the boars and uh, go from there? <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, well, I was going to say that, like, unlike a Bretonian army, I don't think a Kislev army will be about making that charge in the same way. Because they're lighter, they can't stand up to, or to uh, like, shooting that much. So I think a Kislev army will be more about maneuvering your fast units and using more the fact that they can move fast to move around the enemy than to move towards the enemy. And trying to just harass the enemy with bowmen, trying to make them charge and then counter-charging with your lancers. More than just attacking straight on. Probably have to... The, the Kislev army is a lot more 
fluid its construction. It shouldn't just charge and try to stand. It has to keep moving or it will yeah. run around. You gotta use some finesse. Yes, this is what I'm hoping for. Probably I will butcher it like the first 300 games. Well, what you could do if you really want the extra heavy cavalry is to look at the allies' rules and you see that Bretonians are friendly allies. Yeah, I don't know really how, like, if you use allies with Kislev and having Kislev as the main force. Uh, I don't know if, like, it's only meant for Kislev to be allies or uh, it works the other way around because then you could do that with any army, I guess. But I think Kislev are the only ones who are supposed to be allies other than Dogs of War. Yeah, and I was going to say that, like, you have few units in Kislev, but you could. Uh, add units from Dogs of War. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I've yeah been there's some great that. heavy cavalry in Dogs of War as well, if you want to add a punch. Yeah. Or use like, units that you can't have in a Kiss of Army, like uh, those crossbowmen. There's two different units of crossbowmen. They'd be really... Yeah, and dwarves. Yeah, you can use dwarves in, from Dogs of War. Slayer pirates. Yeah. Oh god, Slayer pirates. Yeah. Love them. But something I was thinking about, especially for Kislev, that they really lack is artillery. Uh, so the, the galloping guns would be perfect for Kislev. Yes, as you can move them around, yeah. And you, yeah. Could, and you could just uh, convert the riders a bit to make them look like they fit in a bit more with the army. It would be, look really, really cool on the battlefield. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know if I would like make them as count as the thing, or I would just use that thing. Uh, because uh, my character I'm doing is kind of being from Erengrad, and Erengrad is like this big trade city, and they even have like Atelian quarter of the city, and then Alf quarter and Bretonian quarter. Like it's very, uh, what's it called, metropolitan place. So there's lots of Italians there, and they have a lot of gold. So I, I wouldn't find it surprising to have a bunch of Italian mercenaries going around Kislev looking for work. Uh, another uh, reason for Kislev being rich as well and having anything to trade is because uh, they mount expeditions and trade caravans to the east, to Cathay as well. Um, and a really cool thing about that is uh, in the Ogre army book, I think it's 6th edition, first one that they got, there's this picture that I really like about like an ogre uh, force uh, ambushing a Kislev caravan. Oh yeah, I remember that one. That piece of art is amazing. Yeah, it's so good. So you can see these ogres just toppling these uh, winged lancers. Uh, so yeah, like Kislev does a lot of trade and like going to the east. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, just put some Tillian mercenaries in the army if you don't think that you have enough stuff. Like I got enough models now to do like a two thousand point army, uh, and I feel that this army could stand up against other things. So I feel like in sixth edition you're not as bound as in eighth edition to have like these must-have units in your army. Like you, you can survive without wizards, and you can survive without 
big blocks or artillery and stuff like that. Because the armies are a bit smaller and all the other armies didn't have as many things as they do in later editions. I think they'll, they'll handle their own ground. I think they can do that too. Especially if you master the whole maneuvering thing in the movement phase. That can be a killer yeah. when you're playing a game. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, yeah, I think they'll, they'll be pretty cool to maneuver around. I think, like, if nothing else, they'll be really fun to play with. And hopefully against. Like, hopefully it won't be too fucking annoying to have just arrows raining down from your flanks all the time. All uh, the things you're gonna see is a fanatic splashing into your units, and then we're done. <laughs> yeah. Like my plan so far for playing them is to have lots of small mobile units so the enemy won't really have a standard strike at and just trying to learn them so that I get advantageous charging positions, pretty much. Uh, Multiple small units is going to be hard for me to face as you can send out, well, suicide units to lure out my fanatics. And then I yeah. have no kind of uh, defense against you. Fanatics is the last line of defense for goblins. So, <laughs> first and last line of defense, mind you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gonna have to send some suicide horse archers towards those guys. We really should mention that even though it's just a booklet that came with a uh, white dwarf, the Kislev army book, got some really, really good ho- hobby in it. Yeah. yeah, they have uh, a, an article about terrain too, I think. Yeah, Creating a winter terrain. wilderness and uh, how to think when you theme a battleboard with snow and... How to paint horses. Ah, lovely. 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 Even how to make trees and how to convert up infantry units using the Mordheim range to make a block of pikemen. Yeah. Just lots of good things. Back in the days when you stuffed so many, at least everything. Like before the age of the internet, when you could release some tidbits anywhere, they just had to put it all in books. Just looking through like the 2004 annual where this book was also included. Uh, there's just so many crazy things. So good. The only thing I'm actually missing out on the army is a unit that was in the uh, Mordheim game and in the role-playing games. It's the Streltsy, elite branch of uh, guys using black powder weapons and halberds. Yeah, yeah, I kind of miss those guys as well. Because you have the, the Cossars, but they, they're only armed with bows. But like, it is mentioned that you have uh, riflemen. And they're also in the, the Warmaster uh, game as well, because you have Kislev there as well. And there they have gunpowder units. So, I don't know. I mean, I think that they didn't want to do too many units for this like limited army. Yeah, probably. But, I mean, if they would have a gunpowder unit and a cannon, then the, <clears throat> they would pretty much be a complete army. Yeah. And maybe just add like a a hero and a wizard. Uh, and, a this, and a 
and uh, this is where the dogs of war army comes in as you yeah. can have yeah. normal wizards and you can use normal cannons too so you don't have to use the galloper guns if you don't want to can you use those in other armies though isn't that just yes you can you can use them oh, in other right. armies. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Opening up new doors. <laughs> yeah, shit. <laughs> yeah, but... And also, if you find a unit you fancy in there, you can make them of Kislevite origins, but you use them as dogs of war still. Yeah, that's true. They never did make the Kislev war wagon for the regular game, right? It was only Warmaster. Yeah. Oh, the war monster, yeah. Also, the like the big polar bear units are on the war master. <laughs> Crazy stuff. It would be so amazing if you had a polar bear, polar bear unit in or ordinary Warhammer Fantasy. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that mostly about Kislev. Uh, I could go like more into the background of like their personality, but it's gonna be explained in the next segment. So, how do you want to tackle this? Who wants to start talking about their experience with the book? I can say that like, I'm kind of the one who decided on this book because I kind of decided to read this book at the same time as I started my Kislev. Uh, but like, just me picking it because it's Kislev, it's like one thing, but we're also doing this because it's just such an amazing book. Because I know that like you read it before, right, Christopher. Yeah, I read it when it was first released and then couple of years ago and now again it's good enough to read more than one time that, that's for sure yeah and you can say there's a pretty old book as well like the one that i borrowed from a friend when i opened it the the bookmark he had used was like a like a call card from a internet convention in 2006 oh god that's really old <laughs> yeah i'm not really sure when it was released you do you have a date christopher yeah, it's uh, copyright uh, 2003, so right there along the timeline when, when it takes place. That's Storm of Chaos in 6th edition. We're going to talk a bit about the plot. We're going to try to stay away from major spoilers, because even though the book has been out for 15 years, it is worth a read. So it might be good to actually encourage you, listeners, to read it instead of uh, just spoiling it all. Yeah. And the book is available on Black Library. Yeah, that's important. Written by the book god of Black Library, Dan Abner. Uh, so, yeah, it starts off with uh, two Imperial, or like the main characters are two Imperial soldiers. You follow a band of uh, demi lancers uh, going out from the Empire towards Kislev. And at the start, you don't really know like where they're going, but they're going to this rendezvous point with a bunch of other army elements. So, the main characters are. Carl, standard German name, and... Uh, Gerlach Heilmann. Yeah, Gerlach. Doesn't roll off my Swedish tongue as easily. These two are quite prominent in the, their company because one is the Vexilla and one is the, the Hornbower. So you follow these guys along as they enter Kislev and they enter this little village and they're like, this place is so dumb. And these people, they're, they're fucked. They don't talk. They're not nice to us to save them from all the evils of the world and we're going to be the biggest heroes and they won't even serve us food. So, like, at the beginning, especially Gerlach is very, like, ungrateful 
uh, thinks he's dish it. He's very set in his uh, centric imperialistic ways, basically, because he's been raised that the empire is the greatest place to live in the world and that everyone else is beneath them. He's also yeah. from noble stock, so it doesn't really help his worldview. And then after this, they kind of hook up with the main army element. And like these guys have never been to war. And then they go to this commander who's like super drunk. And he's like, well, you better ready up because you're going to get crushed. One day you're going to get freaking crushed. You have no idea what's coming. Yeah, he was the only one that was had a really realistic outview because he has actually been facing the hordes before. Yeah, and he says shit a lot. Really important to know for uh, readers who don't like harsh language. What happens next, you kind of got to tell it, even though it's going to spoil the story a bit, but Chaos attacks and just shatters the Imperial forces. And the two main characters get split up. And that's kind of when the book really starts. They will both go through quite a lot of changes. One internally and one maybe... Externally, yeah. Well, maybe not. Maybe he doesn't really know how he... Yeah. Yeah, so one of them, Carl who's educated and a bit calmer, diplomatic. He gets uh, taken captive by the Chaos Forces. And uh, Gerlach, and this is another name, like, like another uh, reason I don't remember his name, because he gets a nickname. He gets separated from his unit, and most of his unit dies. Uh, and then he joins up with some Kislev winged lancers. And after the army is crushed, the Kislev unit just retreats. And Gerlach, like didn't really want to retreat, but he doesn't really have a choice. So he has to go with them. Well, he had the option of either joining them or going back alone. So yeah. it wasn't really that much of a choice <laughs> at the end. Yeah, and then you get to see like both the Kislev and the Chaos through Imperial eyes, which are supposed to be like neutralized, like your eyes. So it's classic Abnet, I would say, to have like the, the plot played out from, I wouldn't say like innocent people, but people that you can relate to as a... Uh, as a like a basic human, and uh, like you say, uh, as as both sides are viewed in uh, imperial eyes, you really get to see how each of these two societies of the Kislev and uh, the Kurgan, as they are known, are totally different from one another, and they still have some similarities, and uh, those similarities are heavily set on rituals. Perhaps we should mention at this point that the army actually sent down from the Chaos Wastes. Before uh, Archaeon's massive push was basically, well, we have all of these uh, common tribesmen. Let's put them first so they can kill everything. If you haven't read the story of the Stone of Chaos and everything around it, you basically need to know that he sent everyone else first to basically please his gods and get rid of competition. Yeah, nothing out of the ordinary from the Chaos Ways. Indeed. So, what happens then? Where, where, where will we go from here? Uh, well, like you follow these two characters. And uh, I also think that that's really nice that you still have two characters and then that they're split. Because like you get a break from the storyline. So uh, like when you're following uh, Gelak, who becomes known as Vebla by the Kislev guys, you follow them around and then you get to know about Kislev culture and just from being around those guys like how different they are from the empire uh just like that their horses are as he describes them the step ponies yeah they're small but really hardy yeah and that's interesting because that's like how the mongolian horses were and like most of the horses it's more like the like when people think of a horse they think of like arabian steeds that like run really fast for short distances 
but these horses are based on like the old plain horses that like the armies would usually use and they're smaller but they're sturdier and they would just go on forever it would never tire at all just graze on the the plain grass be content with it uh also like a real fun thing about like how admin rights is like uh, you really get the the kiss of accent like when you read this like you you read in their voice because it's just written in such a good such a good way and, that's right yeah <laughs> yeah uh, you get like a good understanding of how these people live their life just from day-to-day basis indeed and uh, in that same way you actually experience the growth of the former imperialistic centrist-minded uh, Gerlach when he expands his mind he actually gets to know the culture and just moves on with it instead of always complaining like he could have done or just you know, he, uh, he adapts and uh, takes in the culture which is really yeah. nice to see he becomes part of their brotherhood so to say even though he always sees himself as an outsider. Yeah. yeah and the same way you follow uh, Carl, who's been taken captive by Chaos. So as I said, uh, like, there's still two main characters in the split, and like, it's a very good way to just keep you interested in several things. Because if you had only been following around the Kistos guys, then I think you would have been a bit much. It's like, because it's cool to have these little details, but if you just have an entire book of those little details, it would be boring mm-hmm. in the long run. Uh, yeah. But you, then you follow this guy who's been captured by chaos, and then you have like a totally different world, but it's also super interesting. And you're so... captures the character of that era of Warhammer so good. Truly does. I think we mentioned this in the discussion after as well when we talk about Kislev, but there is quite a lot of similarities between the Kislev tribes and the Northern tribes. Might be have a quite different outlook on, on life, but but the ritualistic way of having their tribes and everything is a bit similar at least. That's why I also saw it when I read the book. Yeah, they're just like they're, tribes. Yeah, who... a tribe of people who, who they they share the steps, but in 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 one way or another. But they're still so different because of their way of life. Yeah, like well, we know the Kurgans. They are they are raiders, but they still have some kind of brotherhood, which is also seen in the in the book yeah and they follow their leader yeah can yes if the leader is strong enough and they have confidence yeah. in him they follow him in with with great respect it's not it's not the kind of brotherhood like the kislevs have it because they have honor on their side too and uh, they don't really eat kids yeah that's that's right that's right they don't eat kids yeah. well not that not that <laughs> we know of yeah that's true have you ever met the well, Kislev guy? Well, I would say that like both societies are tribes, but chaos, the chaos guys, 
put a lot more emphasis on like survival of the fittest and the strong shield rule. And they are also more or less, they're nomads apart from the Kislev. They have their settlements. They have their set focus points where they live. Uh, and, but they, they also travel a lot between those settlements, long distances. But the tribesmen of the north, they are always on the move. Always. Yeah, ever-shifting lands of chaos. And uh, speaking of landscape, that is really well described in uh, the Kislev part of the book, when uh, you really can get a sense of the distances and how that have changed and shaped the people of Kislev to live on the steppes and their outlook of life. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Uh, Niklas, go on first. Yeah, like their their biggest hobby, and then their or let's see, start with like when they start riding, and uh, Gerlach or Vebla almost loses his mind because there's nothing out there. It's just like endless plains with like no landscape, and then you everything just looks the same. It's only grass. It's only yeah, the sky like is blue. The sky sky got a cloud, and then you realizes details after a while. Yeah, and like they're biggest hobby when they're riding is just looking at the sky like, oh, look, the clouds look like a sheep. Uh, oh, look at that cloud. It looks like an elephant. Wow. That uh, cloud looks like Ichi. <laughs> and at first, the girl is like, this is fuck. Like, these people are savages. But then, like, after a while, kind of settles into it and just joins their, their way of seeing things. And you can also say that Kislev guys are very fatalistic. Oh, yeah. Uh, as you will learn later, like the Riders of the Dead, uh, that's what they call all the like the warriors of Kislev, because as far as the villages are concerned, they're already dead when they become a soldier. So they don't have to mourn for them later. Like, all right, you're dead. Let's have a party where we celebrate that you're dead and cry for you. And then you'll ride out and maybe you'll die with honor, hopefully. Or maybe you'll return. Doesn't really matter. And if it's... you return, we'll have a feast as well. <laughs> it's of no matter. That means that it's of no matter. the people back home don't have to wait an entire season of war to see if someone comes home or not. Which is, might also be a relief because sometimes they might not come back for several years anyway. And then there will be a great reunion instead. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they they have a different way of seeing things than uh, the empire, or at least like those guys, the that group of people. Maybe not so much the the Gospodors in South that are more like. Yeah, we should uh, probably mention that, that this book fo- focuses on the steppe living Hilloites and not the city-dwelling ones. It's a very good description of like their character and who they are as they go to war. You get to know the people of Kislev in this book in a way that you probably haven't in other books where they're basically treated as savages, just someone with a funny accent. And I'm going to say it's the very same thing for the Kurgans, because I had... A completely other view on the Kurgans or Northerners at, at all before. They were like mindless barbarians to me. But after this book, they it, they really opened my eyes for them. 
It's like yeah. evil barbarians from Conan the Barbarian. They have their code <laughs> of honor. They have their protocols and rituals. So they have their kind of law and order. And uh, they're quite superstitious. And I love that part. Yeah, I love their superstition in this. Like, and also that they call like the, the different chaos powers. Like they all call them different things. Yeah. Because, I mean, they're real things to them. And they just like had to name them. And they kind of sound same. I don't know what they, they call scenes. They're, they but, char, char. Yeah, char. And they, they also mention other names for the same god, but other different aspects from him. And that's yeah. also a thing I like too. Yeah, that's because, also the same with other tribes they meet that worship yeah. corn. Because yeah. they also worship deities with a similar, yet slightly different name, which is just an aspect of the god itself. Yeah, like corn uh, may also be known as kor or kjorn or korlar. Yeah, it's so good. Like, like you get as excited for fucking chaos as Kisla when you read this book. Like, I, I had no idea that they would, like there there was a lot of focus on the chaos tribes in this book. I had no yeah, idea, and I was really happily surprised with it. I don't think if uh, I'm I'm not sure if the, if uh, this is a spoiler or not, but there was a big lack of chaos warriors, and that's what I like about this book. It's more about the yeah. Marauders, so to say. And that's also why it fits in with the storyline, because the, yes. all of the Warriors came in the second wave. Yeah, basically. they do mention guys who would fit the description of a Chaos Warrior, but they never mention them being one. Everyone from the North the big burly man. Or the bodyguards of uh, the slave trader. Yeah, God, that's one of those characters I actually loved most, how they were. I'm just going to say one thing about one character. Coneheads. Upset. <laughs> When I read that Baby part of the book, heads. yeah, and I was like, this is so Coneheads, God, I can see it in front of me. <laughs> but there, in that uh, scene when he meets that one, which is Carl in this case, he has a bit of a debate with himself, basically, if he actually looks like that or if in a bound in a traditional style when he was a kid to shape his head like that, which is also interesting to see a point of view of an empire man. Who is learned as well. And which also means they know about cultures like this where they have tied up heads and bound them yeah. to shape them, which yeah. is also interesting to see. So, anyone want to just glide around what happened to Carl at this point? Well, uh, Carl, uh, is he, he got captive uh, during the battle. Of, he and uh, some other guys got captured by the Kurgan tribe. Shoika. Yeah, that's right. And uh, once he is captured, he gets marked by one of the Sars and the Sars are the leaders, like chieftains, I think, of the Kurgan tribes. And uh, when you're marked, you pretty much become uh, a proxy for your owner in the case of uh, duels. And uh, this is pretty much what happens for Carl throughout the book. He fights duels as a proxy for his Sar. And uh, this leads him down a very dark path, even for a learned man. Indeed, and here is the other way you can see transformation in this book. The ways of chaos are insidious and subtle, and maybe not known to yourself. It was a great representation of everything regarding Carl in this book, regarding his captivity, how he changed his look upon this, and uh, he always planning an escape, never really doing it. He don't have anything to return to. Second like drug Yeah. Falling God. deeper and deeper. He's giving me cocaine. I need more cocaine. Plas really... Plastic crack. Well, that's, man. that's, plastic al crack. that's almost true. 
given some scenes in the book. His warband is dedicated, as we have said, to Siege, and some of the rituals seems more akin to rituals dedicated to a certain other god. Yeah, so yeah, it's really interesting to see cross transformation because it's always through his eyes as well, and then he you just kind of notice that how like twists of fate changes his, the way he looks, like a battle injury once that made him look even more like an apprentice of Siege, and like it seems it's like a random wound, but. As an outside reader, you know that this was made by Tinch. Oh, yeah. Those parts in the book, too, are described in great ways, like small, just small things and, and the symbolism of them. But it is really those small details that might seem insignificant at that point that you really appreciate how an Avnet writes a book as well. Yeah. We have been used to that over the years after this book was released. Do you see it in the heresy? books, we've seen it in 40k books, we've seen it in other fantasy books, and obviously other stuff is written as well outside of the Black Library umbrella. The little things matter. Also, he's really good at making these small details that don't really matter at any point other than they make the scene seem a lot deeper and more real than it is, which is a great way of building a story. Dan Abnett is the king of books at Black Library. He's, I think, definitely my favorite author. Definitely. Yeah, same here. And I'm a big fan of his Eisenhorn books. Oh, God. What happens at the conclusion of this book? And what is the impact of this book for you guys? They're reunited. A great way of reuniting them. Uh, they have both changed a lot. Their characters have changed a lot. And then they're reunited on opposite sides of a battlefield. Which is a great way to see it. Because the entire book is a bit about circles. And yeah. you return from where you begin. Yeah. Yeah, like... There's also a thing that both Chaos and the guys have a very like, fatalistic view of the world. Like, it doesn't really matter what happens to them. It's always part of the greater plan. It's no matter. Indeed. So, let's just talk about Abnett a bit and, and mention your favorite book of his. Well, I think my favorite book with him is Forest Rising. Because it just it just launches the 30k setting so well. And uh, like compared to like all the 40k I've read before, sets it apart as like uh, a brand new thing. It's the idea of world building in a universe that there's only been snippets in before. And then he's got to like create an entire setting with other people to build on. I think he did a really, really good job. And I really like that book. I'm going to put that book as my favorite book too, from a perspective that he started everything off with this book. And uh, this book, it started like escalating. Looking back at the book, uh, if, if I would read it today, uh, comparing to other books, I don't think it would be my favorite but as i read it when it was new it has that place in my heart and it will forever be there it will never leave leave me with this great grand feeling i had when i read horse rising it was like a new era of books coming out it was the horace heresy starting off this was untouched turf for everyone. Which one is your sister? I'm actually going to go a bit off script because it seems like we've agreed on a book so far. But uh, my favorite book would probably be, because I really, really liked it, and that is The Traitor General from the Gaunt's Ghost series, which is where they're on Geryon, where they also introduces a really important character that's not a ghost, but will be Gaunt's bodyguard from there on. So that's the one, one of my favorite. I was going to mention, outside of uh, the Black Library Umbrella, it's tie between Triumph and Embedded. One is uh, an alternate universe, Earth, and the other is a near-future sci-fi book. So yeah, I hope we tried. I think we held back a bit because we didn't want to spoil this book so much. I think we <laughs> might have done a bit anyway. But uh... we, we touched some highlights. We did that, but yeah. 
We I don't spoil we, everything. I think we all sat here just trying to... If I'm going to mention this, the enti- this entire section of the book will be spo- spoiled, so you just have to, to smooth it out some details and stuff. Yeah, that's because we really want you guys to read this book. Also, I guess we all three are quite new to reviewing books, but we hope if this segment gets uh, positive feedback, we might uh, just uh, do more of them. Otherwise, we're going to go on and review models. Wrap up our Square-based book club. And that's it for this episode. I hope you have enjoyed book discussion and a little information fact episode about the Kislev faction and their army disc. And uh, Jimmy, won't you tell us what's in the next episode? So our next episode, we're going to talk about 6th edition first impressions. As Niklas and Krell have recently started playing 6th edition, so we're going to talk with them about their first impressions of the game. And uh, then we're going to talk about how to play it from our point of view. This is true. We're going to run down the basics of uh, every turn and what you are supposed to do in them. going to be basic stuff, no advanced tactics or anything, because this is for those people that are just trying out the game for the first time. And I reckon that is it for this episode. I would like to mention again that if you have any comments or critiques or just want to get in touch with us, you can send it into the Facebook page or the email address. And if you want to get into contact with John, that was in uh, Lower East Michigan, also get in contact with us and we will forward it to him. And I hope you all will listen to the next episode. Until next time, stay square. Time may have ended and the realm of elves, dwarf and man shattered. But in our hearts, The old world liveth.